Hey everybody, before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You could also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. All right, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, we are talking about Ty West's Pearl, the shot in secret prequel to X, which just came out earlier this year. Uh, He filmed both of these back-to-back with its star, Mia Goth, who also co-wrote this one. And joining me to talk about it is Paul Hibbard, who was here earlier this year to talk about X. And uh, we are now going to talk about Pearl. So that is coming up here in a second. Uh, We have a great conversation, lots of great puzzle pieces. Before we get to it, I want to remind you, as always, to make sure you're subscribed to Piecing It Together on your podcast app of choice. You can, of course, follow us on social media at PiecingPod and join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where we continue the conversation about all the movies we talk about here on the show. We also have the Produced by David Rosen Patreon, where I post bonus and advanced content from Piecing It Together, an awesome movie year, as well as my music career. Uh, We have a bunch of Piecing It Together episodes in there right now, including Bullet Train, Beast, 3,000 Years of Longing, uh, I think one or two other ones as well, so... Lots of episodes that will eventually hit the main feed, but right now, if you subscribe to the Patreon, you get access to them right away, as well as a bunch of other stuff. So check it out, patreon.com slash Rosen. One other thing I wanted to let you know before we get to the conversation is this Thursday, September 22nd, 7 p.m. in Glendale, California at the Look Dine-In Cinema, we are doing a live episode of Piecing It Together. Uh, After a free screening of See How They Run, sponsored by Cinema Week, uh, we will be talking about the movie, and joining me for that will be former guests of the show, Rosa Parra and Colby Mack, as well as Colby's co-host over at Minorities Report, Raul Nevado, and uh, we have a great conversation lined up. Uh, It's going to be a lot of fun. We're doing it right there in the theater right after the movie plays, and of course the episode will be recorded to uh, get posted here on the feed next week sometime, but if you want to come out and see the movie for free and then watch us do the show uh check the show notes i have a link to where you can rsvp for free tickets and hopefully we'll be doing more of these live shows in the future so um yeah hope to see some of you there now let's talk about pearl All right, so I think this might be the first time this has happened outside of the world of superhero movies, but we're going to talk about a sequel, in this case a prequel today, and bring back the guests that we had on the other one. We've got Paul Hibbard, who is here for X, and now we're talking about Pearl. Paul, how's it going? I'm great. It's going great. How are you doing, Dave? 
I'm great. I'm I'm doing awesome. Watching lots of movies, podcasting about them. I this one actually I wasn't even sure if I was going to cover just because you know again we've already covered one Ty West horror movie this year about you know these characters and you know who knows if there's enough different stuff as far as you know the theme of the show with inspirations and all that mm-hmm. but i feel like there is i feel yeah. like we've got like a lot of different stuff some of it's going to relate back to x and and mm-hmm. the things that inspired that but some of it's its own thing and uh most of all we get to talk about mia goth a bunch because she's awesome she's fantastic i was also a little bit nervous going into it if he was going to be able to pull this off and make a prequel that was not only as good as x but it was you know, not disappointing. It would be something I'd even want to talk about because if he dropped the ball on this and as much as I loved X, I, it would just be incredibly disheartening to, to have to do an sure. episode on, on him yeah. uh, screwing this project up that he's working on. Yeah. And by all accounts, like this, it sounds like it was a semi afterthought. Like from what I've read, they were like getting ready to get on the plane to head out to shoot X. And he was like, Hey, what if we did a prequel also? Like, you know, it's not like it was something that was long in the works and they were just like, yeah, let's do it. And Mm -hmm. just boom, boom, just ended up shooting this thing real quick. So that doesn't usually work out. I want to say, like, I don't know. Yeah. And and what's interesting for this being the, the, the secondary thing that the sort of afterthought they tacked on, it felt like it had more scope and more locations you know, they actually had like a, a city they went to and it actually had more than the two houses that they used in X. So yeah, it's impressive because in a way I felt like this felt like the bigger of the two movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I said this in my letterbox review, like this is like one of those rare sequels slash prequels that like fills out the whole overall world. Like it makes everything better. Like, I've said that about actually Alien Covenant versus Prometheus. Like I walked out of Prometheus and I'm like, you know, what the hell was that? What was Ridley Scott doing? And then I mm-hmm. walked out of Alien Covenant and I was like, these two movies rule. Like I yeah. love these movies, you know? Yeah. So uh, it's like, this is definitely uh, a movie that, that everything is the better for the both of them combined. And so that is exciting. And of course uh, this is doing well enough that we're now getting a third one, which hopefully next year we'll be talking about. And, He'll actually continue the uh, this and you know this kind of a positive light, but you know mm-hmm. we'll see what happens. But you know, with all that said, let's start getting into some puzzle pieces. I'm sure we'll have some overlap and as well as overlap to some of the things we talked about with X. But what do you have for your first piece? Uh, the first one that I have is Carrie. Um, while I was watching, Carrie's my favorite movie ever, ever. So a lot of times I see Carrie in everything. Sure. Uh, and while I was watching this with the relationship with her and her mother. Um, I saw a lot of that Carrie dynamic, but again, I was kind of questioning it if I was just overseeing it. There's a part in it, um, uh, a closet where she keeps her uh, mother after she's been uh, badly burnt. That reminded yeah. me of the closet that uh, Carrie was kept in in the movie. But the part that really sealed it for me, and I was like, okay, this is just undeniably based on Carrie is a scene where uh, she's having an argument with her mother and it's this moment where she feels like she's going to be able to escape this town and she feels empowered and it, it is not only like exactly blocked and set and positioned like Carrie there's a scene in Carrie where she's arguing back to her mother about going to the prom with Tommy mm. and it's the first time where she really sticks up against her to her mother and again right. in in pearls the first time she really sticks up to her mother too and they're both at a table it's framed the exact same way and there's a thunderstorm going outside and the moment I saw that I was like this is a hundred percent carry like there is no denying this part 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that, that that perfectly makes sense. And it's funny, like this character, the, the, the Pearl character that Mia Goth is playing, like she kind of occupies this age range. It's really kind of hard to nail down. I mean, she's married already, you know, her husband's off at the war and, and, but she's like basically like a kid almost like, mm-hmm. you know, in her, her mom's uh, home and, you know, having to take care of her dad. And th- there's, there's like a, a very strange, obviously everything with these two movies is strange, really with all of Ty West's movies is strange, but there's like a strange uh, kind of, uh, you know, characteristic to what her, almost like a state of arrested development, I would yeah. say. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it really kind of adds to the character and definitely to uh, to Carrie as a piece, though. I so mean, that it, fits. If I could make one more point about it too, something I was thinking about it afterwards is it. this doesn't quite have the you-go-girl empowerment that Carrie has. Yeah, every, everybody's mm-hmm. pretty much on Carrie's side in that film. This one's a little bit more split and some of the people she kills are more sympathetic where she's not completely the hero, though you do kind of are get on board with some of the things that Pearl does. But one thing I really wondered was this, if Carrie, this movie that is usually pointed at is when the monster is, is the hero and her actions are justified. If Carrie took a route like Pearl and X did where you saw a sequel to Carrie first, where she is a full blown monster, just burning people and killing people. And then later we went back to the prequel and you saw what, became Carrie, would she still get the same sympathy that people have if you, the viewer, know what she goes on to become because you've seen the sequel first? Right, I, right. I, I was really thinking about that as I watched that. That is interesting and like really unique to this particular series. Like yeah. that, That's something that we really can't see anywhere else i feel like it, and that that's a really cool thing about what uh what really the both of them because mia got did co-wrote co-write this with ty west so mm-hmm. uh it's really uh something that i think they wanted to explore like can you bring in some sympathy for this character after the fact after knowing where they're going to end up mm-hmm. so yeah that that's interesting i'll go with my first piece and i think this kind of mirrors some of uh some of the same ideas there but uh i'm going to Whatever happened to Baby Jane, mm-hmm. Betty Davis and Joan Crawford just driving each other insane in this house. And uh, the the mother and uh, Mia Goth's character, Pearl, are just at each other's throats this entire time. They just, they really can't stand each other. And locking them in a house and having them like where they really kind of can't leave. There's also like a kind of a sub thread here of this being during the war and a flu epidemic. And that kind of brings in the mask imagery, which is really interesting and great for them to be able to uh fit that in in this particular moment in time of course but uh you know them basically being stuck there and they have no way of leaving they kind of both have to be there especially with the dad being sick and so they have no choice but to deal with one another mm-hmm. and uh, of course in the other movie that's that's more that's a uh you know sisters but it's still you know that uh feminine energy just driven at each other like constantly and driving each other nuts yeah in certain ways that might their dynamic in that film might be more apt for this one as opposed to like carrie where she she has more of an arc to finally get there while in pearl pretty much from the beginning she's her mother's adversary even though even if she doesn't necessarily express it until she gets a little more empowered i mean from the beginning she's telling the projectionist that she wants her mother to die (laughs) and it seems to be like that sort of dynamic is um a little more appropriate i think to your piece well i think they they both add up to uh just how much these two are at each other the whole time and Mm -hmm. and that 
you know, because otherwise, I mean, we really would basically be getting just more of a traditional slasher kind of of just yeah. like, like, here's Pearl when she was younger, killing a bunch of people. But instead, we actually dig into the character and where she was at this point in her life. So yeah. it, it really gives you a lot more. But uh, what do you got for your next piece? Uh, the next one I have is uh, Wizard of Oz. Which okay. is uh, one that I, I don't know narratively how much the two connect, but what I feel like Ty West did is, um, you know, he's someone who's around my age, around your age, and he is, uh, you know, someone who grew up in Wizard of Oz, and I'm sure that a lot of people, and possibly you, had this experience where that was one of the most frightening movies as a child, and a lot of what was frightening about it was just the imagery of what was mm -hmm. happening uh, with this creepy scarecrow, and you had. Uh, you know, the Wicked Witch, Witch of the West and you had, you know, the way she rode the bike. And I feel like he took just like little pieces of, of, of images from Wizard of Oz and just kind of snuck it in here with the corn mm -hmm. and everything. And I, I felt like he was almost like sprinkling the film with these nods to Wizard of Oz without necessarily too much getting too narratively into it. But I, every single time that he did that, it kind of just gave me this feeling of the creeps, almost like this childhood memory of how much that film creeped me out by taking those pieces of images and putting it into a legit horror movie. Yeah, absolutely. And and that that movie is like ripe with with like imagery that is really scary when you stop and yeah. like think about it and look at it. And and uh, yeah, you know that's actually a good setup for for another one of my pieces um, because. You know, to that like kind of old Hollywood style and all that stuff. I was thinking of Harley Quinn and like the Birds of Prey movie and like just that whole character, just that like psychopathic girl who's also all cutesy and old Hollywoody and mm -hmm. like the voice and the colorful outfits and playing with all of that like old twenties, thirties vibe Hollywood type stuff. And so, I mean, that obviously ties back to Wizard of Oz, but also so many of the other, you know classic era of of hollywood filmmaking and they do a lot of that here with uh the way that this town is portrayed the way that uh you know the credits are done and things like that there, there's uh there's a lot of of imagery that kind of ties us back to being like a classic film kind mm -hmm. of thing yeah and that would lead to my next uh piece which is uh i don't know if you've ever seen it but todd haynes uh fantastic film far from heaven I've um, never seen that. No. Yeah. It, so in Far From Heaven, he takes this sort of like idyllic view of like America. And his film was the 50s. This one obviously goes back to 1918. But it was still like this view of the past. The, the, and, it, and his was sort of based off like a, a Douglas Sirk film where mm -hmm. it's just like that Technicolor look. And everything is sure. just like beautiful and bright. And it's just colorful, amazing nostalgic view of the past but in his film it's about a married woman who has a, an interracial affair and it causes this like wrench to be thrown not only into her marriage but also into this sort of like lily white sort of like film that mm. um that 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 used to be big in the 50s and he was making all kinds of great commentary with that and i felt like with this film uh, Wes took that look too, that sort of like idyllic, super color, technicolor look, and set a whole horror film around it. And yeah. it just felt like he was not going to change the aesthetics of the film. He was going to keep it in the past, but just make what happened within those aesthetics, aesthetics really horrifying. Yeah, absolutely. I would say that, like, 
my my biggest criticism of Pearl because I, I I loved it. I might have even liked it a little more than X, like like we were talking about. But um, I wish they went further with those aesthetics. Mm-hmm. Like I, I wish it really. I mean, it kind of comes back towards the end, but I feel like in the middle we kind of lose a little bit of it, where maybe they just let that slide, where we're dealing more with character type stuff. Mm-hmm. And I I wish that they had like really uh, nailed some of that home because there's just so much fun stuff you can do with it. I mean, would you even like extend that to the violence where you had just have like technical or blood and even because it's not yeah. really that gory of a film. No. And, and they could have gone that direction. They could have like really just spruced up the violence, spruced up the gore, almost made it a bloody affair and, and, and made the blood part of those sort of like beautiful colors of the past. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I. I had mentioned before we started recording that I, I've got some like serious inspiration pieces and then some that are just a little more goofy. So I'm going to throw one of those in here right now. And I'm going to go with David Wayne's The Ten because Mia Goth has sex with a scarecrow here. And that's kind of got to be indebted to Winona Ryder having sex with a ventriloquist dummy in uh, The Tens. <laughs> I have not seen The Ten. Oh, it's an amazing sequence. And uh, you need to watch that. So Okay, that one. That <laughs> one's excellent. <laughs> yeah. And th- that maybe is uh, maybe the best sex scene of the year so far. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> I-, I can't even think of one that rivals it. Um, if there is one that rivals it, it could be um, when um, the guy has to film his uh, girlfriend having sex at X. But either way, yeah. either yeah. way, I- Ty West has directed the best sex scene in the film this year. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> so what do you got for your next one uh my next one is going to be cold mountain um even though in this film it's world war one and it's not the civil war but it reminded me of that sort of scenario in cold mountain where a male the f- husband of the house goes off to war but while he's off things that are happening at the home that he left behind that he's going to have to come home to are actually mm. much worse. And he's not going to get that sort of like return to peaceful um, middle America that he got, or I guess in cold mountain, it would have been Appalachian America, but in this case, sure. Um, you know, that return to that sort of like peaceful form of America. And he's going to come back to a huge mess because things that are happening back at his house are actually probably worse than what's happening in the war itself. <laughs> right right that's a good one i hadn't thought of that and that's a really great piece and definitely speaks to that ending which is fantastic i mean this movie is like it's one of those movies where it's like it all leads up to just a pitch perfect ending like that last like 10 minutes or so 10 15 minutes which speaking of which i guess i'll uh throw in another piece here uh and this is the first one that's an overlap from x but uh gotta throw texas chainsaw massacre in here because of that ending which of course was like the biggest influence on x but um it definitely fits here too once this farmhouse uh eventually ends up filled with corpses sitting around the table mm-hmm. and just all the disgusting imagery of like the rotting food and just just how decrepit that house becomes which of course it should because we're setting up for where things go once we get to x so it totally makes sense that it goes in that direction but yeah i mean it, they did a great job with the uh, you know production design of making all of that just look absolutely horrifying yeah um, so my next piece was actually going to be Texas Chainsaw Massacre too. So what I'll do, I'll just add to that and I'll switch out to another piece. Uh, but in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the uh, sitting around the table was one of the the things that I really noticed as a callback to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But the other one was the final kill when she chases the girl out with an axe. It mm-hmm. very much reminded me of like, like 
I have no way of proving Ty West said this, but I, I have this feeling like he was like, let's take the scene where, where, where um, he busts out of the house with a chainsaw and chases Sally. But instead of doing it really fast, let's almost do it like it's in quicksand, right? Let's have <laughs> Mia Goth come out of the house and she gets the axe and they have more of this like almost like walking chase scene. So it yeah. was like very slow and it was somehow almost creepier because neither of them were moving. But the way that it was framed and the way that um, the woman was panicking, it reminded me a lot of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So I felt like he's yeah. like, let's take that. You know, the, the, that, that scene where Leatherface is just flying after her, but let's just do it very slowly. And uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I thought that was awesome. But to uh, switch it out, you know, in a way, I, I don't even know what the climax of this film is um, because that kind of feels like the climax. But also, I just think this monologue that she gives is probably sure. the, the, the true climax of, of what's building up. And um, to make a movie um, that, culminates into a monologue like that which i think is impressive reminded me of lucas guadagnino how he would do this in several of his films and it was one of the threads that i noticed um from him as a director that connected call me by your name and suspiria is these are mm -hmm. two films that when you watch in most ways you can't even tell it's the same director but the one thing that i noticed is both of those had this really powerful third act monologues and, and mm. you know, in, in the Call Me By Your Name one, it just shreds you to tears, right? And even sure. in Suspiria, when she's giving that speech at the deathbed, um, I was like, yes, this is the same guy who directed um, Call Me By Your Name. And this is a guy who knows that to swerve to a monologue like this will really hit the audience in a way they're not expecting. And I felt like that watching this a little bit when she gives that monologue which I think is fantastic. It maybe goes on a minute or two too long, but I do think it's pretty fantastic. It's such a showcase of Mia Goth's acting skills. And yeah. I just thought that was a, a pretty uh, brave thing to put into the third act when everyone's expecting blood and instead they get this like amazing moment from her. Yeah, absolutely. And also uh, great on Ty West to just not leave her face because that way you get that that moment of like it's kind of dark comedy it's kind of catharsis of getting to see the other girl's reaction at the very end of it and you just know she's like so freaked out and you know that once you get to see her it's just going to be like okay you yeah. know yeah <laughs> it's, I, a, it's a great moment yeah in the <laughs> middle of it or even towards the end when you saw what he was doing i, I just kept thinking of possibilities of how she was going to respond when the camera yep. turned back to her and i think that west uh, got the best response possible yeah no really great and uh yeah and of course you know mia goth being in suspiria i mean she may have in writing this may have like kind of had that idea of of ending, you know, all building up to a big monologue type scene. So it mm -hmm. definitely makes sense as a puzzle piece as well. Um, but those are those are great examples of that kind of a thing to to end on a note like that. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, yeah, great one there. Um, I'll go with another silly one. How about that? Uh, let's go with Napoleon Dynamite. Um, okay. <laughs> a couple of reasons, actually. Uh, first of all, of course, Pearl's big uh, moment of going to uh, audition at for the church dance troupe, and they all kind of watch in 
awe and, and, and horror as she does this insane dance sequence, which is kind of great and kind of terrible at the same time. Yeah. And very much like Napoleon's uh, dance at the talent show and Napoleon Dynamite. So that, that made me think of that. Um, and then also, you know, when she's feeding the animals and talking to them, that has a little bit of uh, Tina come get some ham in the delivery <laughs> there. So, you know, that, a couple of things there. That's good. <laughs> when I was thinking of a uh, puzzle piece, I was trying to think of a film that I feel like I've seen, but I couldn't place what it possibly is. Maybe I'm just imagining it. But some sort of film where a crazy, lonely woman has an animal or a creature of some sort that kills people for her. And mm. I even text my horror, one of my horror loving buddies. I was just like, Hey, I'm on this podcast. What is this movie? And I was like, am I just making this up? And he couldn't think of it either. So yeah, that w- the route you're going, Napoleon Dynamite's closer than anything I could get. Cause I was really <laughs> struggling to find this film that I was sure existed. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. And it, it's great that we get uh, the Gators there since back then i mean mm-hmm. i don't know how long alligators live maybe it's the same one i don't know but I think they look like 100 years so <laughs> there you go so maybe yeah. it is but yeah. uh, <laughs> that is awesome uh what do you got for your next one uh next one this one i don't know if it's actually um anything connected or if it was just uh references that i uh was connecting myself but i was thinking of inglorious bastards uh where you have the woman out for revenge who has the relationship with the projectionist and mm. then so much of like their uh like pieces like fuel of the revenge has to do with film and um you know a lot of the conversations have to do with film also just as like a cheap reference but there's one part where she throws the projectionist uh car into the water and she actually says au revoir to him which reminded me so much of christoph waltz saying saying that to shoshana as she ran off that's a great one. We're getting like such a year of like these movies built around cinemas. Like we've got Empire of Light coming later this year and the Fablemans and and this and yeah. and it, it's 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 a fun thing. I guess, you know, it's kind of in the air with us, you know, not having been able to go to the movie theater for a while and now we're all kind of back and so uh yeah, it's it's an exciting thing because setting a movie in a movie theater is great. Mm-hmm. You know? I I love that. And and that's a great piece, especially the au revoir part. So mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and I saw that I was like, he's at least winking at that part, if not just like, straight acknowledging. I think so, for sure. Uh, I will go with, um, so before I say my next one, I, I'm going to actually read a tweet that I saw this morning that I just thought like kind of fits this so perfectly. Um, it's from Phil Noble Jr., uh, I believe it's yeah. from Fangoria. Fangoria. He said, uh, Pearl movie feels like a very specific criticism of a s- certain extremely online type, isolated, self-absorbed, lost in fantasy, convinced they're a star with no evidence to support the claim, their own biggest fan, and poor Pearl has no thirsty follower account to validate her. <laughs> Did he now, tweet that to me? Because that sounds... <laughs> that <laughs> it sounds like all of us, yeah, honestly. But <laughs> I don't know how much uh, they were trying to, uh, you know, actually hit on this in making this movie. I'm not sure, you know, if it's just a theory or whatnot, but I just thought that was a great uh, level to view this movie at. And to that point, I was thinking of Aubrey Plaza in Ingrid Goes West mm-hmm. as just this person who just you know, is so online and does not know how to connect with people in the real world. And that just kind of like sociopathic behavior of wanting to be loved, but not knowing how to make that happen and wanting to share her gifts, whatever they may be with the world, but 
nobody wants them or they're just, they don't exist in the first place. Mm -hmm. And they're, you know, and it's sad, but it's like very, very real. And especially in today's world where everybody is like constantly performative online and showcasing what they've got on social media. Like, even though this movie is set so far before any of that, it feels like it is part of that Mm -hmm. kind of world. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm out of uh, proper pieces, but I'm going to name one that's truly obnoxious. You should just throw me off the podcast for this, but it's it's a movie <laughs> called X. Um, and, and, and there, and what I love is uh, there is this acknowledgement. This is the prequel, and it, but it doesn't like drown you in winks. You know, it's not like there's parts where you know she has major issues with pornography that's going to come around later. There isn't anything too obnoxious in her character development that is obviously written with a wink to the audience that she goes on to be the killer in X. But I did like the part, you know, the fantastic part when she was on the stage uh, doing the audition and she was standing on the X and they kept mentioning X and it just, it was the only part of the movie and it was a part where emotions were kind of heightened. And I just thought that was the perfect part to just do a little winks to X in there. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, it's fine. It like it totally makes sense. It, it's that's one thing that's hard with this podcast is when you're doing a sequel, you know, or a prequel in this case. Yeah, it's like of course, of course, it's going to inform it in some way, shape, or form. You know, this is actually a good place because I only have one more piece left, so I'll bring it up in a second. But this is a good place to mention the puzzle pieces that we talked about on X and see if any of the other ones kind of fit here at all. I mean, we did bring up Suspiria actually, so uh, and and we we brought up. Um, Mm-hmm. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, of course. Um, the ones that are about filmmaking, I don't think any of those really apply here necessarily. But um, Psycho, I think there's definitely visual cues here that could fit. I mean, anytime she did it in in X also, but she also does it in Pearl. Anytime you push a car into water and it slowly submerges, there's yeah. no other film I'm going to think of but Psycho. So <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. b- b- by the time Pearl, you watch Pearl, it's been established that's her thing, but I'm still going to think of Psycho when I see that. Absolutely. Um, looking at the rest of the list, the only other ones I thought, um, I, I had never seen Audition when you brought that one up, um, mm-hmm. and also Rabbit I had never seen, so I don't know if either of those could maybe fit, but I thought maybe The Shining a little bit uh, you could squeeze in here as well. Yeah, especially with the the axe murder at the end. Well, I mean, especially, I mean, the way that um, uh, uh, Jack chases his child around with an axe at the end of The Shining could there look similar to how she chases her at the end of uh, this film. Absolutely. Uh, One other thing, it's not really a puzzle piece. It's a way to do things uh, correctly that a a certain franchise called the MCU does not do is this film (laughs) does a good job on its second film of creating an established universe and not having to redo a huge story with a huge arc and, and to be able to actually like live in the universe you've created in a way that Marvel can't do. So Marvel, every film they do, it's someone else trying to take over the universe. And it, and it just feels like you're going through all these beats. But what I love about Pearl is, you know, what happens X is essentially the third act of this film. This doesn't need to have some huge thing that she overcomes. All you need are the pieces to get to where she is going to go forward and become who she who she ends up being an ex. And I loved it because I felt like the film was able to live in the moments. It felt like it was yeah. able to, to do these long, you know, incredible shots, these incredible takes, giving Mia Goth all this room to breathe because the 
universe has been established. Now let's live in it for a minute. And I, that's something I always wish MCU would do. Everything that they do is just so exhausting. And they have these like fantastic uh, actors and um, they don't utilize them. I think in the way that Wes was able to utilize uh, goth by just making a film that relied on her skills and not relying on a bunch of crap happening. Right. Yeah, well, that's exactly it. Like you're, you're relying on the character, you're relying on the actor and the performance and not on a bunch of crap happening. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that definitely, uh, that, that, that sums it up there. Uh, my last piece, speaking of the ending, um, we end with a fantastic fake freeze frame as the credits start to roll uh just on mia goth's face as she is just like insanely smiling into the character and i thought of the police squad series when okay. they would end every episode that way and uh some of those were just absolutely the funniest thing in the world like when they're pouring coffee and it just starts to overflow yeah. over the, you know? <laughs> that, that's a good one when, yeah. when, I, when i was watching it in pearl i turned to my friend and i was like this is awesome but what is he doing right now <laughs> like is he just staring <laughs> Staring back at her? Are they just having a a stare off right now? I mean, what else do you do when you walk into that house? Yeah. I think that's what he's doing. Yeah. (laughs) It has to be. (laughs) But uh, yeah, that is my last piece. So um, are there any any thoughts on Pearl that we didn't quite get to while going through the puzzle pieces? Uh, No, I loved it. I'm excited for uh, Maxine, uh, which is going to be the third one in this trilogy. What's really interesting about this is, um, you know, um, West he made this the first film in the late seventies and he used, you know, some references of films that came out then, but he also threw in boogie nights. He threw in some interesting things. And then he went back to uh, the 1918s and he used uh, references that kind of covered the, the scale of film until then. And you can tell that he's a cinephile. What is going to be interesting is when he does Maxine, which takes place in the eighties is how he's going to make this different from other horror filmmakers. Cause horror filmmakers, I love the genre, but a lot of them are stuck into the nostalgia of the 80s, and yeah, they sure. all use the same score and the same John Carpenter references and all these things. And I have faith in Ty West to use more interesting references and not to be mm. a carbon copy and to make a movie that feels like the 80s but doesn't feel like the 80s like every other horror director feel, feels like the 80s. <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm pretty yeah. excited to see what he does with that. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. Um, and excited to see. I mean, Mia Goth has been around for a few years now and done some really exciting stuff outside of this. And for someone that young to have like a trilogy like this of like really weird, unique horror films, I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's pretty awesome. And um, yeah, I, I'm definitely excited for Maxine. I hope it. Uh, I hope it sticks the landing. I, I can't imagine they would go further. I think they probably have. A really good idea otherwise i wouldn't push it further than this you know mm-hmm. and i i uh i'm very much looking forward to that so uh absolutely yeah. i think that does it for pearl um paul you have a whole bunch of stuff going on right now don't you uh yeah i got a a, a film i can't remember if i had made it by the time when we did x or if i mentioned it or not then but it's a film called some visitors it um premiered at panic fest in the spring and then there was kind of a lull of horror festivals in the summer but now obviously we're going into spooky season it's going into a bunch of festivals uh one of them is uh the next one is grim fest which uh takes place in manchester uk that one is I believe the second biggest horror festival in the UK. Um, then it plays at um, it plays again in the UK in November. It plays it makes its Canadian premiere 
in late October. And then December, it plays at Shockfest, which I think is Las Vegas, maybe. Um, I, I should nice. I should look more into it. It's either, it's either Las Vegas or Los Angeles. I should I should look more into okay. it. Uh, it's in December when it gets closer. Uh, whenever these festivals come up like two weeks out, I, I figured all the details and spread it around. Um, but yeah, so it's going uh, to a bunch of festivals. And I am talking with someone now about getting some sort of distribution deal, but it isn't uh, finalized yet, so I probably shouldn't jinx it. <laughs> but if it goes through, it'll be nice. Awesome, awesome. And you know what? I, I forgot to ask you. Uh, I always ask for a recommendation. Is there something you watched recently that you'd uh, like to recommend to our listeners? You know what? Following uh, that path, it's my... Uh, so my favorite horror movie of this year is X, but it's about a tie with another film and it's called, it's a movie you cannot watch. It's called The Outwaters. And the reason you can't watch it is because it's only at festivals at this time. And I honestly cannot believe Shudder or someone has not picked this up because this movie is absolutely fantastic. My movie has played alongside it um, uh, at a few festivals. And every time you're in a festival, you usually get the links to the other movies to watch it. And every time I'm in a, yeah. a, a, a festival with this movie, I ask for that link because I love it. It's a found footage movie, which is a very tedious subgenre to me but this one is fantastic it's it's like a um it's a uh, like a cosmic um uh found footage about a, a band that goes into the desert to record a music video and while they're there something from the space comes down and it's very unexplained it's very um jarring it gets very violent and in my letterbox review i uh said it might be a little hyperbole, but I might actually still feel this way that it's the best found footage movie I've seen since Blair Witch Project. Wow. So it is uh, fantastic. It plays at all those festivals I just named. It's always playing alongside mine. And if and when it finally gets picked up, which it should, it's, it, I think it's going to blow people away. Awesome. I, I'm looking forward to checking that out. That sounds insane. And I'm also very much looking forward to checking out your film. So hopefully I'll get to see that soon. Hopefully Shockfest or... Uh, something one of these screenings at some point that seems like it's everywhere so yeah uh, i'm sure i'm sure i will get that chance but uh <laughs> paul i'm so glad to get you back on the show uh thank you again for being here and hopefully we'll get you back again sometime yeah it was a great time thanks dave what's up listeners? Force 5 is a show about movie-related top five lists, hosted by me, Blacklist screenwriter and ex-video store cinephile Jason Kleberg. I have a new guest on each week, and the guest gets to pick the topic. Past guests have included film directors, screenwriters, actors, critics, comedians, rappers, artists, and other podcasters. Love or hate our picks, you're guaranteed to walk away thinking, what would be on my list? Search Force 5 wherever you get your pods, or head to force5podcast.com. All right, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation about Pearl. Thanks to Paul Hibbard for joining me on that one, and thank you to you for listening. If you're enjoying what we do here on Piecing It Together, make sure you're subscribed, and uh, we'd really appreciate it if you rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Good Pods, wherever it is you're listening. If there is a five-star button, five stars would be nice. So uh, drop those reviews, and also make sure you're subscribed, and follow us on social media at PiecingPod. Join our Facebook group if you want to get involved in the conversation, maybe even join me on an episode one of these days. And don't forget about the Patreon I told you about at the top of the show.
Uh, last but not least, of course, I also told you at the top of the show, we have that live show coming up this Thursday, September 22nd in Glendale, California. Link for free tickets are available right in the show notes. So click the link if you would like to come on out for a free screening of See How They Run and to check us out while we talk about it. So I hope to see some of you there. So I'm going to close this out with a piece of music like I always do. And when we covered X, I played a piece of music from an album I released called Beater, the original motion picture soundtrack, which combined a feature film from director Christopher Johnson uh, called Beater, but also the scores of some short films that uh, I've done with him as well. And one of them is about a... uh, crazy killer woman named Daisy. And so it felt like a good fit for uh, for that episode. Plus, I think the album had just came out at the time of X. And so uh, why not play another track from the score of Daisy to kind of tie this all together? So um, this is a track called No Escape, which uh, again is from a short film called Daisy, which is on the album called Beater. It's a lot of uh, names, but uh, it all makes sense, and there's links on the show notes. So anyway, hope you enjoy the music, and we'll be back. We actually have three episodes this week, so we'll be back with a lot more Piecing It Together coming real soon. West Production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.